It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey there folks, it's KP Burke and uh, via the magic of StreamYard, we're actually coming to you live here. We had a slight incident with a, a file that got corrupted yesterday, so I apologize to our uh, Doug Yerum, who was our guest. Uh, funny guy, has got a show called No Offense Podcast that he does over at A Shared Universe as well. Um, every Chris Wednesday. Got, every Wednesday, apparently, right? And um, so Chris has actually uh, got to meet him yesterday when he came on as a guest for American Loser and the Kahuna actually works with him on there and the two of them get along very well. Uh, Doug's a funny guy. He's a raw guy too, man. Um, and then we weren't able to put the episode out. So I apologize to him, but we still want to give him the plug right ahead there. So it's Doug Urim. That's a uh, U-R-A-M. And the show is called No Offense. So we want to promote that for him here. And because we had a little emergency and we weren't able to put that one out, um, here's what we got for you folks. All right. The, the magic of StreamYard, all the way from South Beach. You can hear the sound of of festive music and sunshine in the background, Larry Burke. Hey, how we all doing up there on the frigid north? <laughs> well, as you guys know, this is my Delph of a dad. So say hello to the listeners, dad. They miss you already. Oh, uh, we're doing fine here in South Florida. Um, <laughs> it's a whole lot better, I think, than maybe a lot of you other others out there are, are experiencing right now. But uh, yeah, we're 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 doing all right. It's it's a struggle, but I'm uh, I'm persevering. Well, Mike and Ming are still taking great care of us here. Now, of course, behind the ones and twos, we have uh, Chris Matt himself from Serious Matters NJ and also a shared universe. Hey, guys. How's it going? Glad to have you back here, buddy. Thank you for uh, helping us out with this one so I can still put something out for uh, the good people over at uh, uh, the loser dumb, if you will, I would say. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The, uh, the, if you want to make the jump for as little as three bucks a month, you can join the founding losers over on Patreon. And real quick, we have to give a, a couple of shout outs, Dad. Um, First and foremost, uh, Jeff Adamski, uh, maybe it's Adamski, I'm not sure how he wants to pronounce it, but um, he went ahead and uh, jumped up his pledge. I won't say how much he jumped it up, but let's just say it went about uh, four times more than what it was. Yeah, yeah it was significant. And uh, that blows us away. And that's because he was sitting there and enjoying the quality of uh, the episode. So we uh, really just appreciate that one from also uh, Yvonne Clem just jumped on board. And uh, we got a guy by the name of Chase over here that joined. Of course, I've had my phone on airplane mode, and uh, now I can't pull up all the info. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what, uh, you guys know the deal. It's literally as little as $3 a month. You can join the Patreon, and that helps us out here. Normally, we're in studio. We're having a great time here. Obviously, we're using StreamYard uh, to the best of our abilities today. So uh, the show continues because of the good people over there at the Founding Losers, and they get their exclusive once-a-month episode on Patreon. Um, Lawrence Patrick. Yes. All right. You were against this originally. Against, well, just going a little further afield than what we normally might. I mean, uh, there are Correct. so many. There's such a plethora of uh, American losers that uh, we really don't have to go to uh, outsource to uh, or offshore that. <laughs> offshore that uh, mine. But, uh, yeah, we, well, we're coming around. This guy certainly does have high loser cred for sure. 
Well, it's a it's a wild thing because uh, Chris knows the whole topic because we did a, an episode yesterday. Like I said, unable to put it out, um, and uh, it, it was the story is great and it's out of control, and uh, he unfortunately is not an American, and uh, it almost makes it easier because he's such a despicable human being in so many ways that I'm kind of <laughs> glad he's not an American. A little thankful for that, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah absolutely, and. <laughs> Thankfully, I could not find a New Jersey connection on this one. So, yeah. The only one we had yesterday was, I think, Doug made a uh, Doug made a Sopranos reference about halfway through that stuck. <laughs> yeah. <All right. laughs> but uh, just to get into it here with you guys real quick. So uh, we're trying something for the month of April. We're going to try to treat maybe every year. We'll see how it goes. Um, April being International Losers Month. So this one's pretty good over here. Um and this guy's life is pretty wild. So uh, I've titled this episode uh, Otto Scorzeni, The Incredible Life of a Despicable Man. And I think you'll see why in a minute. So um, there are villains. There are madmen. There are enemies. There are antagonists. There are antiheroes. Then there's just straight up plain evil folks. And uh, let's be clear, everybody. This week's loser is not lovable. He's not misunderstood. He's not misremembered or maybe a hard luck type character. This is just a bad dude who happen to live a pretty wild and incredible life. So the purpose of telling a story is not to honor or shine any sort of a spotlight on them. It's to show you how shocking and deep certain dark spots of humanity can get forgotten. Okay. This week, we want to remind you that just because the story seems to have ended, there are still pieces in motion even after the war has ended. Um, you hear it a lot. Um, you hear a lot of things mentioned, Dad, about, uh, uh, you know, they try to talk about, we even mentioned this yesterday on the episode too, um, that we don't need to invent new Nazis. Okay. When they're like, Oh, this guy, he's like a Nazi or something like that. We don't need to invent new ones because unfortunately there's still plenty of old ones. Yeah. And, uh, to try to come up with a modern day version of the old timey Nazi, uh, there's no need to go there. Um, I mean, they set the bar high enough that we never really want to go back to that, um, level of, uh, evil well i think what uh the thing that makes them stand out too is that uh the great immortal uh norm mcdonald made a joke uh on his last uh appearance on letterman and he said uh you know who uh germany once chose as their opponent for a war the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah then again uh they tried it again a few years later and uh it was closer than we thought <laughs> so it's really incredible that the Nazis almost pulled off um, what they almost pulled off. I mean, there, there's a distinct, obviously it's a cliche, but there would be people speaking German uh, all over the world. And in fact, there are in countries where there should not be. Um, and that's kind of what the, today's episode is all about. <laughs> right. But uh, post-World War II Germany, pretty wild place. It uh, gets divided into two halves. There's war trials uh, going on for crimes committed during the uh, the war. And this is all even though Hitler's dead. So much of history in World War II, especially in Germany, people are like, oh, so Hitler's dead. So the war's over, right? Well, that's where you got to pay attention. There's Almost a whole like, other campaign. Exactly. Right. And then there's a whole uh, – the other crazy part, too, is that it's almost like with the Civil War. People are like, okay, so the Civil War ended, and then they're like, all right, it's Reconstruction. I guess we're building the – that's the most interesting part of American history because that shapes the modern country and literally modern Europe. Shit that's going on right now between Ukraine and Russia has some ties all the way back to World War II and post World War II. So this, this is very important. Back to World War One. I. I mean, that, it, it's a long, long uh, uh, pedigree on that one. Exactly, and it's um, 
it's a wild one here, man. So even though Hitler's dead, there's still stuff going on over here. There's still some pieces of his uh, SS floating around. Dad, just so people know, because um, you're a guy of some German heritage, and uh, you know there was um, it, it was always a, a strange thing to to try to put yourself in the position of maybe somebody who was in a young man in Germany who was not like a full-fledged Nazi or anything, but a guy who's going to join up to serve his country the same way that, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I joined up to serve the country or that uh, my grandfather, um, you know, mom's dad joined up to serve his country. It was, you get pulled into these things and maybe you're not getting all the facts. You're just boots on the ground. You're a grunt. So there's a difference between being a German, you know, farm boy who's just serving the Vaterland, if you will, right. as they said, right. and and being part of this Waffen SS thing. So can you kind of explain that to the listeners? The Waffen SS um, versus the, uh, the you know the the, the diehards versus the, uh, the 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 plebs, the the grunts, the boots on the ground. Yeah, well, the Waffen SS was ones or or those who were totally buying into the whole Nazi supreme race. Um, um, ideology kind of a thing that uh, they were they were the true Nazis if you will I mean there was there was Germans who were fighting in the German army that were not necessarily Nazis but like you say they were defending or fighting for their uh, for their home country I mean <laughs> you're you're gonna go with the home team right um, but uh, the the SS or the elite, the best of the best, or the worst, depending on your viewpoint, the worst of the worst. What we landed on yesterday was they were, it's like a racial country club. Right. I mean, to be within the SS, you had to have that, um, that Aryan race, uh, um, pure blood. I mean, uh, um, KP, blonde hair, blue eyes, uh, you're in. <laughs> I mean, give me my Taylor Swift and hand me my rifle. That's it. That's Didn't it. they used to call purebred inbreeding? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just wondering where they got that dynamic from. Maybe they drank the Kool Aid a little too much. Yeah. Uh, genetic engineering gave us an English bulldog, the coolest looking dog, but now they can't swim. Uh, <laughs> so. But yeah, that was kind of interesting to me that the, the, the Waffen SS, that was actually the military arm of the political party of the Nazi machine. So that was, you're, you're a dues paying cultural, um, you know, eugenics based uh, member of this party now too. And it's kind of a country club vibe. They're not letting, you know, dirt under the fingernails in, you know, it's a, uh, you were had you had to be pretty much middle class at best, I would say, middle class at worst, I should say, to get into this thing. And that's kind of what uh, Otto Skorzeny was. He was born to a middle class family, and I think there's even a line that he had when he was talking to his father about uh, hating the uh, the lifestyle that they were living. Like, how come we don't have more? We should have more. And his father pretty much told him, "Goes, it would do you good to learn how to do more with less." And that's kind of a sign of the times because you were just saying World War One, Dad. Yeah. Well, Germany's in a, a we. <laughs> We really did um, set ourselves up for Germany to have to punch back with what how brutal the um, armistice was that ended yeah, up. Yeah, and again, that was that wasn't a surrender; that was an armistice. That's really just a ceasefire. So uh, let's go back, neutral corners, uh, regroup, and uh, the way um, the rest of the world tried to punish Germany for World War One. Um, you knew, you know, many historians will agree that. Uh, that was only a matter of time before 
um, things were going to get um, throwing bullets at one another once again, uh, that there was no way that, the, you know, they were so downtrodden, if you will, they, they weren't given a chance to even survive. And then you, you throw in a, uh, a worldwide uh, depression following World War One, and I mean, Germany was on its face. And all you need is a, a rabble rouser to place the blame on on something or somebody. And uh, you know, we got a funny little guy from Austria um, with the mustache, who happens to be a veteran too. Who, who has, is a veteran of the First World War, yeah. and his voice is injured due to, I believe, mustard gas that he right. suffered while fighting for Germany. Um, and we always tell people this too, Germany, relatively new country, but they have all this culture, all this stuff's built in. So they're kind of like a bunch of city states that come under the, the guise of this new uh, country of, uh, you know, Deutschland or uh, Germania, whatever you want to call it. Um, but then at the same time, uh, they do get told a lot of, you know, they're not allowed to have a military for a certain amount of time uh, post-World War One. So what do they do as we covered on a couple episodes of Loser? They get real into rocketry. You can't keep these Germans down. They're, they're, they're engineering mind. It's always, that's why you get BMWs. That's why you get the, I mean, it, it's some of the crazy bridges that are being built, the balloon stuff that's going on. It, it's a, it's a country of people that like to tinker with shit. <laughs> yeah, if we can't fight you on the ground, we can fight you in the sky. Right. And, and well, it was, it was a situation too, that um, by the armistice that they weren't allowed to build up their military. But um, that whole rocketry kind of a thing, that was such a new fangled uh, way of killing people. Uh, or, you know, like we said in previous episodes, if you take some new technology, it's not going to take too long for somebody to say, hmm, how can I, how can I better kill people with this? Or, you know, uh, well, that's what I said on uh, to Sam. Turn it for, uh, <laughs> for world domination, if you will. That's what I told Sam. I said, all new technology, Sam Tripoli, obviously. Uh, I said, all new technology throughout the history of mankind has been brought down to two things. How can we either use this to kill someone or can I have sex with it? <laughs> it's a, there you go. So, but uh, our boy Otto Skorzeny, who's obviously going to be the focus of uh, being the loser here, he is um, he's an interesting guy uh, because he's a young man who's uh, coming around. He's not the, as young as he could be, too, but he's, um, he's noticing that obviously this Hitler fella who's rabble-rousing in the beer halls uh, of Germany, and uh, he's portraying himself as a guy. He could be a law and order type candidate that could stop this Bolshevik shit that seems to be creeping into Germany during their um, – Issues with uh, the, you know, obviously a worldwide depression and then also the brutality of uh, the, the Treaty of uh, Versailles that, uh, you know, put everything down here for him. So uh, now there's this idea of patriotism. There's this idea of, well, Hitler could be a guy that's going to help us change our fortunes. Uh, we're going to avenge the crimes done to us from the armistice in World War One. And early critics, both German and, uh, you know, because, again, we covered this on the show yesterday, too. He had critics. Uh, Hitler had critics within the, the, you know, Germany for a little while. Well, well, he he tried to cancel them. You know, (laughs) he said, not you, but canceling meant disappearing. Yes, there's a thing called the Night of the Long Knives that gets a little bit uh, tricky. So, (laughs) Like you said, he's a veteran of the First World War. He suffered a a mustard gas attack. I mean, so he's he's an injured veteran of the of the First World War and um, did not want to um, not surrender, but call a halt to the hostilities and then looked for a a scapegoat as to, you know, why did uh, 
Germany accept the armistice? Well, we're going to find a scapegoat for that, whether it's the industrialists or a particular um, religious group or whatever. You know, so that he's he's pointing a target that others would then rally behind, right or wrong. Um, and you know, he's he's one of the people. I mean, he had critics. Sure, he had critics. I mean, he suffered. He he was in prison. He wrote Mein Kampf while he was in prison after the whole uh, beer garden uh, fiasco. The um, beer hall pooch. Yeah. So he, he was arrested and thrown into prison and, uh, you know, kind of regrouped and uh, reformulated and came back uh, um, even stronger. Uh, now, he was uh, not idolized, but, uh, you know, more people were, were you know, he, I think maybe this Hitler guy, he's right, though, the way the way we've been uh, downtrodden, if you will, because oh, of uh, if you insulted others. him, they would uh, they would attack you and they would say, "Keep my Führer's name out your fucking mouth." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was also part of the SS. I mean, you didn't have to have just the uh, the whole Aryan race kind of a thing, but if you were a bone crusher, um, you know, we got a we got a place for you within the, the Nazi Party. Well, what it's weird you would say that. Oh, go ahead, Chris. The bone crushers, like <laughs> if that is not like the key, the pinnacle of intimidation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not only going to twist arms; we're going to snap it off for you, and then use your arm to beat you with a club, as a as a, with a club. You know that. Uh, um, well, so much of uh, what the the Nazi military structure looked like, dressed like, uh, behaved like, all their tactics is so much um, to the empire in uh star wars that it, it really is it's all there um and then there's two things that uh, hitler does that's interesting you were mentioning that he has the scapegoat of the jewish people by blaming everything on them weird thing i knew from german history um they had a problem with um jewish people for the longest time leading up to uh, uh this where they actually made it illegal for um, jews to become farmers in germany the jews weren't allowed to own land so instead, oh. they had to go somewhere else, and that's when they got involved with um, the finances. So now all of a sudden, yeah, within a generation or two, now it's like, oh yeah, so that farm that you left your family—that's actually being seized by people that you know you neglected to make payments to because now you need to go get a loan from the very people you were telling couldn't own land. It, it's a very complicated thing, but he scapegoats them, and then he also uh, pays attention. Hitler, in particular, does this. There's a little bit of it in other places too, but. Um, Hitler pays big attention to, uh, and, and Doug really cracked me up on this one. I thought this was hilarious when he said it. Um, but I was telling him that the Romans, when, uh, they were fighting the Germanic tribes were writing these detailed scouting reports about they're insane. These people are like six foot something tall, the, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, insanely strong upper body strength. They're cunning. They're smart. They're barbaric. Um, and then Doug just goes, yeah, classic Italians, always trying to make it. You should have seen it. You've never seen a car like this in your life. You know? <laughs> I have a Corvette. Yeah, you got it. I got a Corvette. It's in the garage, but I got one. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. This car's nice, but my cousin's car. You've never seen a car like this. So part of it was to make the Germans sound that much more badass for taking on these Germanic tribes and winning. But then the other part was um, – the, the Germanic tribes were ridiculous. It was like, my God, these are um, physical specimens and also total barbarians um, that are, you know, also brilliant. So it, it was a, a tricky thing. And then those scouting reports lived on for so long that it actually created this idea of the, quote, master race. So that's what Hitler's using literally Roman scouting reports from centuries earlier 
to say, you guys are the chosen people. When are you going to realize that? And this idea was floating around too. Hitler didn't come up with this. He was just running on it with, uh, you know, right. he was he was flag waving on it. Embellishing it. Yeah. <laughs> he heard it at one of those beer halls and he was like, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, don't stop believing. You know what I mean? It's just everybody's, everybody's singing it by the end. <laughs> But uh, there's a good uh, difference here, too, between uh, and it, it is shocking to think about how the early honest starts of the whole party and then what they wind up pulling off, because you could see how if you were a young German that you would be, you know, uh, drawn to this party here as Otto Skorzeny is. Um, and then you don't know that the end result is going to be them carrying out the worst atrocities it's seen by humankind ever. But uh Again, he's a he's he's not a young young man, but uh, he was born in 1908 in Vienna, Austria. Otto Skorzeny. He was born to a middle class family, and they had a very long tradition of military service. And of course, Otto's going to be no exception here. He proves to be a bright student. Um, he's very well rounded. A lot of people are, especially from this area, that they value education and varying uh, degrees of. Uh, you could be expert in many things. So, don't these guys duel? Oh, yeah. He speaks his native German, of course. Don't uh, they have, uh, uh, what is that, rapiers as well? Like the texting <laughs> and everything? Well, they, they have that. So he's, it's so weird to me that you could sit there and you could, like this guy's got, um, it was actually called, uh, the, the, the nickname for it was the smile, that um, from fencing duels, they wouldn't wear uh, helmets. And uh, Otto, like many others, got a cut on his face from one of his combat um, uh, duels, if you will. And that adds this extra intimidating factor to now you have like a legit scar on your face to say, oh, this, by the way, this guy can throw around with a sword and he's not afraid of death and he can look it in the eyes. Um, but he's also highly proficient in French and English and he knows all these, he plays instruments, stuff like that. Like all these guys were very well-rounded dudes. So he's trying uh, to make a group of Leonardo da Vinci's. They are all Renaissance men. That's what's pretty wild here. And and almost all of those uh, skills wind up serving him in some capacity here, too. Uh, again, penchant for fencing. Uh, he's a bright and charismatic figure. And it's not going to be long before Skorzeny is actually going to join up with the Austrian version of the Nazi party. Hey, we don't want Hitler having all the fun over there. Why not bring us in, folks? Yeah, but you got to remember, too, that Hitler himself was an, an Austrian. Correct. So uh, he wasn't, you know, that was a weird thing. I mean, here we have this Austrian boy um, firing up Germany, and now we've got Otto, who's also an Austrian. So I guess there's there's some kind of a, a draw to that aspect of it, too, that, you know, we don't necessarily have to be German, but a Germanic race, you know, the, the master race doesn't necessarily have to be born in Germany. We are it's, cultural it's the Aryan race. Oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the one. But uh, Otto, uh, he'll wind up playing uh, a, a good call out on that too, LP. I, I neglected to, to skip over the part where uh, Hitler wasn't even from there. Like that'd be hilarious too, where it's like, uh, it kind of like a Jersey Shore thing. Like, don't hassle me, I'm local, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, Hitler was the worst Benny of all time. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, but uh by 1938 now, too, also, it doesn't even matter that there's different countries called Austria and Germany because uh, Austria goes ahead and just gets annexed by Germany relatively peacefully, mind you. And uh, Otto's finding himself playing these roles of uh, increasing importance in the Nazi political machine. Come 1939, though, Dad, that quirky little man with the mustache you were talking about, mm -hmm. yeah, he's no longer thought of as this goofy character. Uh, he's a famous artist, a famous yeah. painter, right? <laughs> they, re yeah. they revere his work. 
Uh, well, the art thing didn't pan out for him. And I feel like if just a oh. couple more people supported local artists, like maybe bought his album that's coming out March 21st, uh, released by 800 pound gorillas. You guys don't know what I'm capable of. If you don't support this. Album. Oh no. <laughs> but, uh, Again, come 1939, that goofy little character that we were all making fun of that Charlie Chaplin was dancing around on the silver screen as um, he's going to take the globe's attention and he goes ahead and he invades Poland. So uh, the world is paying more attention now. It's no longer a joke here. This is not a drill, folks. And uh, knowing that, too, Skorzeny will volunteer for the Luftwaffe, which is uh, the German Air Force. But Lawrence Patrick, how tall are you? I'm uh, six one or six two, depending on... Uh what shoes you're wearing? <laughs> but no, we'll, we'll go with six one. And Chris, you're a tall guy too. How tall are you? Uh, six two, six three, depending on the shoes. Okay, <laughs> so we got uh, you're six two. My father's six one. I'm adopted, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> five nine here, folks. All right, mm-hmm. but uh, no, uh, our, we are all little miniature people compared to the six foot four uh, Otto Skorzen. So, and by the way, he is considered too tall to even join the, uh, the German air force, the Luftwaffe, because he couldn't fit into the airplanes. They were saying it was going to be too difficult to have him try to operate and stuff like that. Um, did he try also, German basketball? Oh, it would have been great. It's if, if we could have had that instead, and you could have gotten some of this rage out via sports instead of war. Via dunking? Oh, the yeah. first dunk? That's a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> white men can jump. That's a, <laughs> Oh man, just picture him trying to figure it. Picture him getting dunked on by, uh, you know, Doctor J. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but to join the Luthwaffe too, that was uh, very prestigious. I mean, you you were total badass. I mean, the the guys that are flying the planes, even going back to the Red Baron and uh, all, all that type of stuff from the First World War, you you were of a upper echelon of, uh, of a badass, uh, you know, you're a national hero, um, to be flying within the, uh, the Luftwaffe. Well, it was and an easy way to get your was, name out there ahead of, um, everybody else too. You were an individual when you were up in the sky. Yeah. Right. And, but, and you know, the whole, the whole idea too, going back to the times, uh, you know, the Nazis, Germany, Hitler just has invaded Poland. And that was um, with the Blitzkrieg, with the lightning war, where they're, they're going in with uh, airplanes and stuff. And meanwhile, uh, they're trying to come back at them with, uh, you know, even pre-World War One stuff. I mean, a tank against uh, a cavalry, that's not going to work out so swell. Um, so, I mean, that the Luftwaffe was the the elite fighting force, if you will, with even within the various fighting forces of, that Germany had at the time, army, Navy, air force, um, they were badass. So you can understand why this guy wanted to be part of that Lithuania, but unfortunately, I'm sorry, sorry, you're too big, <laughs> too <laughs> tall know? to ride. Yeah. And then they told him he was too old to serve on air crew, which would have been, when I hear air crew, just as a guy, a Navy veteran, um, it's, uh, I'm always thinking and believing that to be the gunners. So I believe that's what he was trying to get into then. And then they told him he was too old for that. Um, so he has to take, a, I guess he settles folks and he winds up training with Hitler's personal bodyguards and serves uh, with the creme de la creme, if you will, of uh, Hitler's personal bodyguards and winds up serving on the Eastern front. Mind you, uh, dad, we asked a couple people this uh, uh, yesterday and um, I won't say names. 
Okay. Um, but <laughs> the Eastern Front, uh, when you hear it, Dad, number one, we, we know almost nothing about it because as Americans, our view of World War II history is rather narcissistic. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, to an American viewpoint, World War II didn't start until December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese uh, bombed Pearl Harbor. Oh, yeah. And then we even skip over our own campaigns in uh, uh, Africa and right. uh, Sicily. And right. Just we, we uh, There's a lot of people that think it starts, okay, so there was Pearl Harbor, then we did D-Day, then Hitler died, and then um, that was yeah. it. That, that was, was it. it. <laughs> that was a wrap. Oh, wait a minute. Why don't we drop the bomb on the, on the Japanese. The, yeah, we, we dropped the bomb. I, uh, this was that's, my favorite. That's what ended it. <laughs> my favorite was we heard uh, we dropped a bomb on the Chinese and ended World War II. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, this one's nuts here. All right, the Eastern Front, wildly underreported on. Uh, it gets to the point, um, a good friend of mine who's been on the show before, Ted Daniels, great guy, uh, lover of history. And he really read some books about the brutality that the Germans were facing on the Eastern Front. That is when Hitler decided to start a land, to, you know, a land war in Russia in the winter, you know, because Hitler was that sort of an egomaniac that he goes, well, listen, my hero Napoleon failed here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to avenge his loss because I'm better than Napoleon. And he makes the same mistake. Okay. And uh, it's pretty wild because obviously it blows up in their face here and it's brutal. And it's to the point where the Germans are uh, not prepared for the harshness of the winter. They're not prepared for the all out butchering that the Russian, the red army is going to throw at them. And when you yeah, look at the numbers, ways, though, because initially at the start of the Second World War, um, the Soviet Union, or you call it Russia, the Soviet Union and um, Hitler's Germany were allies. They were they were together, um, you know, carving up Eastern European, you know, amongst them, amongst themselves. And then Hitler decided that he was going to go against uh, Joe Stalin, the Soviets and attack the Soviet Union. And the brutality of, of that campaign, if you will, I mean, the amount of lives that were lost, not only uh, Soviets, you know, Russian lives and German lives, it was just unbelievable slaughter uh, and civilian lives that were just slaughtered. It wasn't just two armies going at it. It's um, insane, the numbers, because it gets to the point where even Ted Daniels, who uh, he cannot... I, he'll spit on the ground when he talks about Hitler. That's how angry he still gets about it. Yeah. He will sit there and he'll say, you almost start to feel bad for what these young German kids are. I mean, their, their limbs are freezing off. Um, they're just, their bodies are freezing and you can't even dig them a grave because the ground is frozen now too. So your dead friend is just sitting there next to you as a human popsicle. I mean, it is, uh, it's, and when you look at the numbers, um, I'm very proud of my grandfather's service uh, in Europe in the uh, with the army, um, and I, I wonder um, I wonder how far you know. We'll, I, I won't cover too too much of it, but um, I wonder how much more hell could have been unleashed on the Allies as they landed on D-Day and uh, you know pushed into Europe um, had Hitler not made that crucial mistake of trying to invade Russia. Because all those uh, German lives would have been redirected towards, uh, sure. well, hey, hey, uh, there's some people trying to come in through Normandy right now. So, um, but that's the the brutality that's going on over here. And this uh, Eastern Front, that's where Otto's fighting. Otto actually gets hit by a piece of shrapnel in the back of the head. Um, and so he has to recover uh, back in Berlin. They take him uh, off the, the front lines over here. And uh, it's pretty wild, though, too, because um, 
he had been tasked with something from the Fuhrer himself. He was pretty much, he was a higher up. He was a great, uh, he, had, he was a good military leader, um, but he was a better military politician, if you know what I mean. He's the kind of guy, it reminds me of that movie LA Confidential where it was, um, you want to be the lead detective on the case because you get your, um, your face is, uh, you know, in the newspaper. You know, your, your picture is uh, of you busting the bad guy kind of a thing. Right. So he's interesting that way. He gets personal orders from Hitler that when the Germans take Moscow, which they never do because the invasion is a total failure and the Eastern Front is a bloodbath for the Germans. And it probably, again, I don't even know if it's for the best. I'm, I'm going to say it's for the best, um, but we don't know what the outcome would have been had any of this happened. But this was the plan that Hitler had for Skorzeny. He goes, when you get into Moscow, I know the Russians are going to rather than let their you know, uh, telecommunications building and uh, their telegraph office, I should say, and a couple of their uh, Intel headquarters, rather than let those buildings fall into our hands, they're going to destroy those buildings. So you need to get in there beforehand and stop their demolition attempts. So that's going to be like kind of going behind enemy lines type thing. Um, more on that later. And then also they wanted him to seize, um, it was assets over by the, uh, the, the Moscow River. I think it's the Moscow Golga River is what it was. And, um, it's pretty insane here. I'm sorry, the Moscow Volga Canal. Volga, Volga yeah. like Volga Boatman. <laughs> like uh, Volga, like uh, our guest was too Volga. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not Brooklyn Volga. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason they wanted to control um, the Moscow Volga Canal uh, was because had Hitler been able to take Moscow, Skorzeny's orders would have been, uh, you know, hey, flood city of moscow turn it into an artificial lake i want that underwater take that entire city put it underwater that is some bane slash cobra commander type shit right there that hitler's literally telling people to do so again you don't have to make up some crazy villain we've got one <laughs> um right and and hitler's henchmen to carry out hitler's plans and that's that's what uh mr otto was all about um the, the hatred between the russians and the germans has a long, long history that, uh, you know, it was surprising to a lot of people that Hitler was even forming allies with Joe Stalin, who was, uh, you know, despicable himself. And uh, then when he turned against against the Soviets or against Russia, that now, now he's fighting the front on two fronts. I think Hitler believed that he was going to be able to go in there and wipe out the Russian army uh, very quickly. As a matter of fact, the, the German uh, soldiers were going in with summer uniforms and then uh, the Russian winter hit. And these guys, that's one of the reasons why they were, you know, freezing to death oh, and no. suffered enormous casualties. It, it's a weird spot to be in when you're like, oh, those poor Germans. <laughs> but, yeah, um, right. And again, let, let's be clear, too. I'll call them and I don't want to call them Nazis either because these are it is the Nazi army. They are fighting for Germany, but th there is this evil center core of the whole thing, which is the Waffen SS, which is what Skorzeny is a member of and a high profile member at that. So it's tough here. We're not trying to uh, diminish. Uh, we're not even trying to attribute what uh, you know the, the Nazi army was pulling off uh, to Germany because uh, they've really they're such an incredible people and, and uh, culture and country and who's made some absolutely miraculous amends on the world stage. Um, so it's tough to always attribute the worst thing you ever did to a person. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, you don't want to be at some point you want to let them uh, move on from uh, that time that they, uh, they shit their pants uh, on a job site. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, 
It's, uh, yeah, but I've been doing really great for a couple of years now, guys. Come on, haven't I? I've made a lot of changes. Yeah, but remember that time you shit your pants? <laughs> so, um, now, of course, those that mission to flood Moscow and turn it into an artificial lake is canceled because uh, Germany never takes Moscow. And so yeah, now. I think you're, you're overlooking. I mean, turn, that sounds like, oh, yeah, you know, wouldn't it be nice if Moscow was now a lake? But think of the civilian population that how many. How many millions of people are you destroying by flooding by flooding Moscow? You know, Nothing. I will give you back your country now. <laughs> you can stay in Moscow, but it will be underwater. <laughs> That's right. How long can you hold your breath? <laughs> but it, it's, I mean, that's brutal. That's some superhero villain shit, I should say. And uh, again, but Scorsese is injured, so he winds up going back to uh, Berlin. And while he's there, he's kind of put in an admin role, and he starts coming up and creating what we're going to call, for lack of a better term, the Nazi version of the Green Berets or Special Force. He's trying to form uh, the joke we made yesterday, uh, Doug, Chris, and I was, uh, if G.I. Joe, if it stood for German Infantry Joe. So <laughs> this is going to be an unconventional guerrilla warfare type unit, um, and they're going to pull off a lot of things. Their uh, objectives are going to be for use behind enemy lines, okay, uh, for sabotage missions. And they're also going to be, they're exploring the idea of, well, we're going to fight in enemy uniforms, uh, even though something called the Hague Act had forbid that, that you cannot do that. The same way that if you were caught um, with an unmarked satchel uh, in the American Revolution, um, you'd be considered a spy if you were trying to move information behind enemy lines. Yeah, if you're in so, civilian clothes, you're a spy. Exactly. So, but th there was, it, it was such a crazy thing. Now we're talking about putting on enemy uniforms and then fighting behind enemy lines. As, and it's, it's wild too, because by the way, this is, um, we'll cover it here later, but there's a certain Lee Marvin movie that kind of, uh, <laughs> there you go. Makes you think about this a little bit, but the dirty dozen. Oh yeah. And this is just a couple of years too, mind you. Okay. So we talked about 1939 with Hitler moving into Poland. It is now mid 1943 in Skorzeny's unit, which he is now in command of as well. They're going to go on their first big mission, which is Operation Francois. You know about that one, Dad? Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a kind of a special thing. And then Scorsese, he was put in charge of this by Hitler himself. I mean, there was there was, I think, four different candidates that were going to leave this special ops kind of a thing. And in an interview with the Führer himself, three out of the four were just spouting, you know, uh, the party line, if you will. But um, Scorsini, he, he was the one that was kind of saying, well, you know, we know what Italy did for, against Austria in our history books. And with that, um, Uncle Adolf decided, well, he's my man. This is the guy that I want to go in there and take care of, take care of business in, uh, in Italy. He was a bright and charismatic guy. And uh, that scar on his face probably led him to being a good commando, too, I would say. I'm, I was trying to think of the the, the uh, caricature or the or the cartoon guy that is like the arch villain Nazi with the with the monocle. All all, all Otto would need is the uh, the monocle, the scar <laughs> on his face, and the and the monocle. He'd be you know he is the uh, he is that character. Chris, he might be thinking of uh, it's not him. I, I know what you're talking about because um, there's a really there's a couple of great Nazi villains from uh, the Indiana Jones trilogy. Um, the the most evil one being obviously the guy who gets the the, the thing burned into his hand. Yes. Okay. Right? There you go. Yeah. Um, but then there's the the military guy in the third one that Indy has to fight on the tank, and he's um, 
he's pretty much evil because he's also a badass as well. So he's like a good fight for Indy. And that's the guy that I always remember, like, uh, anytime that he gets killed in that movie as a little kid, I would just cheer a little bit in the corner because all right, Indy got him. Indy got him. <laughs> but he's a scary and intimidating dude. That's why it was um, uh, always ha- you know, a happy thing when that guy died. Um, but Scorsese's first mission here is he's going to literally, again, this is, this is where it gets crazy, but it's so impressive what they pull off. And then we are doing some of our own shit similar to this. Because keep in mind, as they're creating this German commando unit here, um, and I won't even pretend to be able to pronounce their name. That's why I sound smart on this show. I don't pronounce things I don't know. Um, But uh, uh, we're also creating the Frogmen. We're also using the the start of the Green Berets. We have uh, U.S. Army Rangers. We have the Marine Devil Dogs. There's, you know, there's all these things going on here. So... The world is all exploring this idea of special warfare and Scorzeni's unit, uh, they pull off some really incredible stuff. They actually parachute secretly into Iran uh, in 1943. And their attempt there is to be behind enemy lines, if you will, or in a no man zone, if you will. And they're going to actually meet with local tribes and attempt to get them to support uh, the Nazi cause and go against the allies who had uh, transportation and stuff coming through there. And, Unfortunately, the tribes are very wary to commit and uh, the operation would be deemed a failure. But that's very, very similar to um, a lot of movies that we've seen in the past, right, Dad, where it's uh, uh, if you can get the locals to help us out. That's pretty much the plot of Lawrence of Arabia, by the way. Yeah, yeah there you go. I mean, both sides are trying to do that stuff. I mean, if you're trying to gain allies, whether you have to buy them or uh, train them or whatever. I mean, the Green Braves did that. Um, going into the hill country uh, to train uh, those who were against uh, anybody that, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thing. So. Oh, like the French going in and, you know, getting Magua to uh, come help them kill the, uh, the Redcoats. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing new about that. Similar playbook here. Um, now, there are a couple, though, that get pretty ridiculous here. So, Scorzeni's operations were occasional successes, sometimes failures, but he was always, always, always aiming for big results. And that's where his politician comes into. He knows that if he can pull this off, not only is he going to become more famous, um, but he can also get attributed to a lot of the, the things here and, and get credit to his name. And there's this idea, we talk about it, too, is that after a war is over, um, as long as your side wins there's a chance for some very, very um, lucrative opportunities post-war, uh, certainly maybe holding office in politics as well, too. And uh, Scorzeni is a, he's an ambitious guy. So uh, this one is where it gets, and again, we're going to be very clear here. Uh, the Nazis are bad people. Uh, Mussolini was a bad dude. Um, Hitler's a bad dude. This right here sounds like the plot of a G.I. Joe episode that I would have watched as a kid, except instead of Cobra, it's Nazis. So this is Operation Oak in 1943. Uh, Italian fascist dictator Benito Mussolini is ousted from his position of power in Italy. His own party actually gave him a vote of no confidence. That's how bad of a leader Mussolini was. <laughs> yeah, by, by this time, by 43, the Allies are now... Um taken back lost uh, ground in North Africa and they're landing into Sicily. Um, so they're, they're taking it now to that new front, if you will. And, um, you know, the Italian people kind of lost their, uh, <laughs> their uh, um, shine on uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mussolini, even though he did make the trains run on time, uh, maybe he's not the, 
he's not the best guy to have. Well, when a fellow named Lucky Luciano is getting involved um, from prison in America uh, to uh, reach out to, uh, you know, the, the La Cosa Nostra, if you will, um, that's where things get pretty wild as well. But uh, we're actually going to bring Doug on for an episode on that, too. So, Doug Yerum, you will be back on the show, my friend. We just couldn't put this one out, man. I apologize for that. Uh, and also, Ming apologizes for that, too. Um, but uh, Mussolini's ousted. He has a uh, replacement in power already, and uh, he's been placed under arrest. So uh, Hitler's not going to let his old fascist buddy go out like that, though, Dad. So he no, tasks I mean, his gut. Uh, Mussolini is arrested, but he's arrested by his own people. Um, I think we should make that um, pretty clear to the listeners that the Italians are arresting Mussolini. They're, they're arresting their own uh, leaders. But uh, like you say, that um, Uncle Adolf is not going to let that happen on his watch that, uh, hey, this was my pal. This was the guy that uh, he was schmoozing around with. Uh, and, and let's not forget that Italy is the southern border to Germany. So, um, you know, we want to keep uh, keep things uh, under our control on our southern borders rather than uh, having the allies making further advances. And so uh, they wind up uh, on those borders. There happens to be some of the world's best skiing, by the way. And a gorgeous ski resort is chosen as the location to keep the deposed leader, um, Benito Mussolini. So Mussolini's there. Hitler's not going to let his old fascist buddy go out like that. So he tasks the special forces unit under Scorzeni with liberating Mussolini. And uh, like something out of a James Bond movie, Dad, they use glider planes, which my understanding of glider planes is that they have no... Um, engine or they have a very small engine and they can yeah. carry about 10 people it's my understanding that there is no engine they're, right. they're actually towed up into uh up into the skies and then uh the harness or the or the tow rope is let go and now they're they're gliding silently um into uh into their target area which is incredible man the idea that they pull this off i think it's uh i forget the numbers but it's uh let's say maybe uh uh 10 planes or something like that. And uh, Scorzeni's plane is actually like third or fourth back, but he has this idea where he's going to be carried by an aircraft a little bit longer because he wants to land first because that way he can say he was the first boots on the ground for the thing. Um, yeah. And this and, location, this was all uh, completely uh, hush hush. I mean, the Italian, the Italians weren't letting uh, anybody know as to where they uh, have uh, taken Mussolini too. So that's all secret stuff. So it was, it was auto, uh, who was uh, through bribes and uh, espionage and um, informers and everything else was able to locate where they were even holding him. So, I mean, even, even to get that information as to where Mussolini was at, you know, where's Waldo? Uh, where's, <laughs> where's, where's, where's Mussolini? Where's Benito? Where's Mussolini? <laughs> um, they had to find that out first before you can go in and, and uh, put the snatch on the guy. Well, he uh, he pulled it off, man. Um, he gets the info. Then they're able to make this uh, ridiculous uh, night creeper leader, you know, James Bond villain type entrance. And with his uh, SS storming through there in 10 minutes, in 10 minutes, they're able to completely outnumber the overwhelming uh, forces of the, uh, the Italians that were guarding Mussolini. And without firing a single shot within 10 minutes, Scorseni is now leading Benito Mussolini, the freed, the now freed prisoner. Uh, in this ski resort back towards a plane to go meet with the Fuhrer. So, and there's actually a little liner note in there too, that he wanted to get on the plane. He insisted on being on the plane that took Mussolini back to Germany because he knew that if he was the guy that could deliver, hand deliver Mussolini to Hitler, 
that was going to play very well for him and the legacy he was trying to create. So, and of course it did. Um, yeah, and that he, makes an impression on the boss that you're, you're, you're bringing Mussolini to him personally, you know? And the plane was already overweight at that point too. And Scorzeni said, well, fuck it. Well, I'm not going, you're not leaving without me. And he put the entire plane at risk just so he could have his quote, fortune and glory. So, um, tough and wild guy over here, man. But Scorsani is able, it's an incredible mission that they're able to pull off over here. And of course, uh, the flawless execution of the paratroopers and other commanders, that should be who gets full credit. But what happens? Like you said, dad, Yosef Goebbels, the uh, minister of propaganda, he notices uh, that, oh, well, Scorzeni was here. Let's play up this Scorzeni character. I want to have the Americans nervous about him. You know, he pulled off a daring nighttime raid. He rescued Mussolini. He was able to find a but So now you're playing up this idea. Number one, you're playing him up as a national hero in Germany. Uh, and then number two, you're also playing him up as the Allies should be very, very afraid, much like they had them afraid of Rommel. And uh, much like uh, in World War One, they were afraid of the Red Baron. They respected the Red Baron. Um, there's a, it, it, it's a good machine and you're starting to see information and misinformation, which is kind of the final chapter of uh, World War II here for him. But uh, there is still some debate as to whether or not something known as Operation Long Jump ever actually existed, because this is that information, misinformation thing. Can we just make them nervous? Maybe make them make a, can we, we're playing psychological warfare here. But word got out that Skorzeny was planning to pull off three assassinations in Tehran in 1943. The targets were the big three, who, of course, Dad, are? The big three? Well, that's going to be uh, old Winston Churchill from Great Britain. That's yep. going to be uh, Joe Stalin from uh, the Soviet Union. And, and Kevin Garnett <laughs> from the Boston Celtics. <laughs> yeah, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And uh, these big three, I mean, they are now the allies. Now that uh, Germany went against uh, Russia or, or went against the Soviets uh, and they were to have a meet by, by this time in, in the war too, by 1943, the Soviets have already overrun uh, Tehran. Um, and the meeting place was to be in Tehran because that was within uh, Soviet control. And um, they were starting to uh, figure stuff out that it wasn't really going too well for Germany, we're starting to make some, um, gaining some ground uh, back. And what are we going to do if we do and when we uh, defeat Germany? What's what's the world going to look like uh, post World War II? Um, you know, how are we going to divide this thing up? Obviously, uh, there's not a great deal of trust with uh, with Joe Stalin, but uh, it's one of many meetings of the big three in Tehran where this Operation Long Jump was supposedly going to take place that uh, they were going to send in, uh, send him in and uh, assassinate or take out the, the three heads of the of the big three. And uh, also, I believe it was played up. Uh, Doug made a really good point on the episodes. I'm, I'm sad we weren't able to put that part of it out. Um, Doug made a good point that it was actually uh, counter, counter, counter intelligence, if you will that uh, the Germans loved the idea that they maybe never even had plans for this, uh, but it scared the shit out of everybody there. That And then the Russians loved it because now that kept all three leaders in the same hotel. So now the Russians are spying on the Americans and the Brits. Right. So it's a, it's a pretty creepy, but that's where your psychological warfare thing comes in. So 
whether or not that plot ever existed is still up for debate. There's no proof of it. And I think Otto, even in his own memoir, said there was we, we talked about it, but we never had any real plans of it. But if you can get them to flinch just by thinking of something, that's pretty right. cool. And you're certainly causing them to uh, shift resources to wherever the uh, possible threat might be that, uh, you know, you might be spreading yourself in someplace else. Oh, totally. And that's um, that plays in heavy with the next couple of operations here. So yep. this one is where he goes full. If you had an evil Jack Bauer, um, this is what an evil episode of 24 would look like in 1944 uh, Germany. By 1944, Hungary had been discussing surrender to the Red Army. Again, the Russians, the Soviet Union. And uh, this would have totally crippled the German army. It would have displaced their troops, cut off large amounts of their forces and supply lines. Um, and the head of state for Hungary was a guy, I believe he was an admiral, like a generalissimo type position. His name was uh, Miklos Horthy. Miklos Horthy. And uh, Hitler ordered, he goes, hey, I'm hearing rumors that uh, Miklos is trying to uh, surrender to the Russians, and that's going to ruin the whole war effort for us. So Hitler orders Skorzeny to pull off the most wild mission. It is a snatch and grab of Miklos Horthy's son in order to force him, okay, force him. We're going to kill your son if you don't resign from your position of power before you can surrender to the Red Army. So again, like an evil episode of 24, it actually works. They pull the kid off. Uh, the, the Doug was saying that, number one, the operation was called Operation Mickey Mouse because they were uh, – <laughs> which is pretty funny. And then apparently they literally picked up the sun and threw him in like a, a, a rug and then threw him in the back of a trunk and kind of disappeared with him. It was, uh, you know, that, that's where he made his Sopranos reference that cracked us all up. But um, it, uh, it worked by the way. And uh, Miklos Horthy, by the way, Miklos, Mickey Mouse, you see what they're doing there? There you um, go. But uh, it worked and Miklos Horthy will step down in order to save his son's life. And guess who happens to be ready to take command? A pro-Nazi hand-picked replacement. Wow, who would have thought that? All of a sudden, there wasn't a need for an election. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. It was. Uh, uh, it, it's a wild one that he was able to pull these things off here. Now, we're going to get to. Uh, uh, we're winding down on his efforts during the war here because what happens with his life after the war is what I think makes him most fascinating. So, uh, as the Battle of the Bulge is ripping through the Ardennes. And uh, Marty Boyage is marching with Patton's Third Army. <laughs> there you go. Well, we should let the listeners know, too, the Battle of the Bulge was uh, like a last gasp attempt to uh, counterattack against the, uh, the Allies by Germany. I mean, no, D-Day has already taken place. They've swept across um, the better part of uh, France and Belgium, and uh, they're, they're heading towards the, uh, the German border when uh, Hitler orders uh, an all-out attack counterattack, if you will, against one section of the line that they felt was rather weak. And there was a bulge in the line at the Battle of the Bulge. And uh, so, again, you've got uh, uh, obviously the 101st uh, is involved over the 82nd Airborne too. Patton's Third Army is coming marching in. It's a it's a big endeavor. And uh, something worth mentioning here, too, though, is uh, Skorzeny. He is so brilliant. Um, and it's it, you almost wish you're like, God damn, if we could. It's like uh, th there was a, a sketch that they did on SNL. What if um, Superman was born in Germany <laughs> and he was Uberman and it was uh, <laughs> played by Dan Aykroyd, if I remember right. But uh, anyway, it was um, 
you almost wish that Scorzani could have just been an American. We could have had this guy on our side because he's pulling off some brilliant stuff here. He comes up with yet another brilliant idea. He's going to take his troops that speak English, okay, and can speak it in an American language, accent, I should say. Um, and uh, he's going to put them in American uniforms that they've taken off prisoners. He's going to send them behind enemy lines in captured Jeeps, okay? So um, American Jeeps, U.S. Jeeps. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. uh and the, their idea while they're behind these enemy lines, we're going to have them spread misinformation about German troops. Oh, hey, guys, uh, there's actually there's no Germans up ahead over here. Um, we just came from there. We, actually, why don't you guys rendezvous with us? We got you know food and stuff like that. We can get you some winter coats, whatever you need. Um, or they can say, oh, my God, we just got completely annihilated back there, um, you know, uh, head in the opposite direction. Or, uh, again, even Doug was pointing us out some of the stuff they were doing was changing uh directions like a hey this road's now a one way over here or uh you know taking down a street sign or a town sign or something like that uh making you unaware that a bridge exists little sabotage stuff just to make you just to make your life miserable so um now by doing this in american uniforms behind enemy lines they are breaking that uh hague act again which is making this an illegal operation this is technically a war crime yeah if there's a rules for war they're breaking them and again, it's one of those things, too, because uh, and, and I'll say because my favorite thing that Doug brought up on the show, because I wasn't even fully aware of it. Um, uh, I'll mention it when we get to it here later. But Scorsese knows that if any of his men are captured as they're behind enemy lines here, they can and probably would be executed as spies. So he actually fed them a final disinformation order uh, that was given to those who were captured uh, to inform the Americans. And by the way, it's uh, 23 of Scorsese's men are captured. Um, 18 of them are executed and it's very dangerous work violating the rules of war, I tell you. Um, but the final little piece of information that uh, these guys who, as they're facing death now, they should be telling the full truth, right? But no, these, these guys are feeding one last piece of information. Hey, before I die, just know, I'll give you this. If you spare my life, um, Otto Skorzeny is leading a raid currently into the heart of Paris to kill Dwight D. Eisenhower. And so now the Goebbels propaganda machine that has built up Scorzeni and then the fact that Scorzeni has pulled off this hang glider, not hang glider, but a glider mission to go rescue Mussolini. Um, this guy has attempted to kill uh, FDR, Stalin and Churchill all at once. This guy is uh, a wounded veteran. You know, he's a, a badass dude with a big scar on his face. And now he's coming to Paris to personally kill the Supreme Allied commander. Well, that's going to get your attention a little bit. Yeah, actually, uh, Dwight Eisenhower was on uh, full alert or lockdown, if you will, for the week. And it was right around Christmas time, too, um, when this when all of this took place, the Battle of the Bulge. So Merry um, Christmas. Yeah. Merry, Merry <laughs> Christmas. Ike. Um, but all of these guys, I mean, these handpicked Germans that were now in American uniforms, driving American Jeeps into the American lines and giving out false information. Um the vast majority of them were captured because um, the Americans quickly, well, not quickly, but realized that <laughs> these are Germans dressed up as Americans who spoke, you know, fluent English. But they started asking them questions about baseball that uh, they had no idea. A lot of them were, were caught because they didn't know who was playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, at that who particular point in time Ted or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe. But it's a, that's a great one too, that baseball is what they were able to use to, to root these guys out. 
Um, but again, there is, there's enough full alert with Eisenhower, by the way, and this fear of Skorzeny and what he's capable of and the mythos behind him that uh, all over the cities of Paris, uh, there's wanted posters for Otto Skorzeny. If you see this man, you know, let him know because they, they built up this fear that he might pull this off. It could come from the sky. We have no idea. He's literally capable of anything. Yeah. And, uh, so if you see a six foot four, uh, 240 pound uh, blue eyed guys in fishnet stockings and high heels, that might be Otto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's coming for you. But uh, he's uh, he's a great villain archetype here. Now, uh, again, I'll tell you what, we'll, uh, we're not going to fast forward too much, but people know this part. Obviously, the Battle of the Bulge does not work uh, the way Hitler wants it to. Obviously, it's now a race to the eagle's nest to see who's going to get um, to Hitler first, the Americans or the Russians. And uh, Hitler winds up uh, you know, killing himself, committing suicide in the bunker, and then people just think that's the end of the war. And it kind of is, it kind of isn't. But I'll tell you what, being a war criminal has wildly less severe results depending on when not your side wins. So if your side wins, you're going to be okay. And maybe you can even enter into a career in politics. I mean, look at, uh, uh, you know, William Tecumseh Sherman. Um, if uh, your side loses, and especially uh, if you're a guy who was awarded personally by Hitler, the Oak Leaves to the Knight's Cross, I think he was an Iron Cross recipient as well. Um, well, the Allies, they're going to want to talk to you. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Scorsini actually gets, uh, he's, taken away he's put in prison for two years once he's captured uh before finding himself on trial for his actions during the battle of the bulge you just said war crimes dad the charges against him were just that these are they're right. kind of but here's the thing we were talking about this yesterday too dressing up in american uniforms and going behind enemy lines that is against the hague convention that's absolutely right but that's not the headline grabbing piece of news in uh, post-World War II war crime trials going on. There's a, a thing called right. Nuremberg. Nuremberg, yeah. I mean, uh, and as the uh, war is winding down, not winding down, but um, as it becomes more and more apparent that things are not going well for Germany, um, there's movement afoot to uh, what are we going to do after the war? How are we going to uh, take care of these people? And there are bigger fish, if you will, uh, with the Nuremberg trials and I mean, if you're killing six million people, um, there's going to be uh, greater offenses against humanity um, than dressing up in an American uniform and going behind enemy lines, posing as uh, posing as Americans. So um, there's various levels of uh, war crimes. And, and as Doug pointed out, too, the big thing that eventually kind of gets um, not that Scorzani gets off of the charges because he actually is awaiting sentencing when the next part of the story happens. But um, as they're investigating him, there were uh, British officials that were saying, you know, we did the same thing. We were dressing our guys up as Germans and sending them behind enemy lines. We were doing it. So there's almost like a uh, it's like when spider tech got cracked down on in baseball and everybody's like, Ooh, I don't know if we want to go after them for this. Cause then they can realize that we've been doing it too. You got to focus on the big bad thing, which is Jose Altuve wearing a buzzer under his Jersey. That's bad. Let's focus on what's really bad. So, but um, again, so yeah, I think again, killing 6 million people in the concentration camps is uh, that, that Trump's dressing up as an American soldier. 
that's pretty much what it was is that they were sitting there and they were saying, Oh, this is pretty bad. And this is the big bad Scorzeni. And he was uh, a feared guy. He was planning political assassinations during his time in a, in the role as a commando. And uh, you never knew what he was up to. And hang on. There's what at Dachau. Yeah. Or Auschwitz or you name it. Excuse me. Right. It's (laughs) so that's a, a justifiably getting all the attention that it deserves. And um, again, the charges against him are rather weak compared to the headline grabbers, like we were saying here. But uh, this is pretty interesting. As he's awaiting sentencing, um, again, for the crime of uh, dressing up as uh, dressing his men up as Americans uh, in American uniforms uh, to go behind enemy lines, uh, a couple of military police show up one night and say, hey, we're here to take him to uh, Nuremberg to stand trial. American um, um, military military police. police. Yeah who happened to be Germans and uh, the very same crime for which he's on trial is now being used to spring him from jail. Um, and uh, the Americans are sitting there like, Oh, the scores. I, I would imagine the hilarity of them talking, the MPs talking to the German, uh, you know, undercover MPs, if you will, and saying, oh, you're taking Scorzani? You don't take Scorzani over to Nuremberg? Get him on trial. I mean, he dressed up like one of us, just came right up and tried to pretend like he was one of us. Can you believe something like that, man? What a son of a bitch, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's very bad, and we're going to get him over to Nuremberg immediately. <laughs> what did you say your name was again, fella? Hey, hey, hey. What town are the Dodgers from? <laughs> but it works. They get him out and he winds up uh, living out in the Bavarian countryside uh, for a while over here. Uh, and it again, it is hilarious that the exact same crime he was on trial for is the one that springs him from the jail he was being kept in. Yeah. And it was some speculation, too, that, uh, you know, that wasn't a complete ruse that they were able to pull off, that uh, there might have been some influential Americans that were in on the in on the springing of him from the thing. Cause let's face it. The, the guy's got a special set of skills <laughs> that maybe, maybe we want him on our side when this whole thing is because things are now to the point where it's the Brits, the British and you and the Americans, and they're trying to keep in check with Joe Stalin because he's a sneaky bastard too. So he's um, the worst. let's not forget, you know, that he was with Hitler until Hitler turned against him, but he's he's nobody's pal, that's for sure. Well, a couple of higher ups from the uh, German intelligence, as long as they weren't um, uh, Hitler devotees, were being picked up by members of the OSS, and then also the OSS is launching operations to pick up brilliant minds, scientific minds from the German cause, who chose to rather surrender to the Americans rather than the Russians because they thought they'd get better treatment. So, in a couple of years, you know, uh, here we are now. Uh, Scorzani's hiding out in the Bavarian countryside, and then later hanging out in Paris and Salzburg and Madrid. Every now and then, his picture winds up in the paper, and people say, "Hey, isn't that uh, the Nazi commando leader Otto Scorzani?" Meanwhile, over in America, uh, Werner von Braun is hanging out with Walt Disney, talking about creating space. <laughs> so, <laughs> but. Uh, he actually winds up getting, uh, he was married once, um, Scorzeni, and then he gets remarried now to one of the women that was helping him hide out, who is, uh, I shit you not, Hitler's former finance minister's niece. So he's marrying uh, an upper echelon Waffen SS chick. Um, he's going to start an engineering firm, mind you too, by the way, where he's working with other German soldiers, many of them also veterans of the Waffen SS or the SS Waffen, however you want to say it. Um, and as we know by the Warner von Braun, many of you know Germany's best and brightest, they uh, they were relocating. Okay, some via Operation Paperclip, and then uh, Scorsani's actually going to wind up globe trotting a little bit. 
And in the 1950s, dad, he winds up in a, one of the oldest places, one of the oldest civilizations on planet Earth. It happens to be one of the most explosive times in their history, and that is Egypt. So it's a pretty wild time to be over there in Egypt as a warlord, a warlord general by the name of uh, Naguib is uh, now in total power. And Skorseni gets sent over there in an advisory role, okay, to be the advisor to this warlord general via his old friend from the SS, Reinhard Galen. Okay, Reinhard Galen was a former Nazi intelligence officer who had been fired by Hitler and was not sympathetic with Hitler. He was kind of a guy that was like, listen, I'm not, I'm not going in with this whole Operation Valkyrie thing, but I don't want, you know, I, I'm not a fan of this Hitler fellow and he's not listening to us and he's not the guy that's going to get us where we're trying to go. Um, and because of that, um, that, that disassociation with Hitler, if you will, um, Galen is now working for the CIA. So the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, formerly the OSS, is now saying, using their contact of a former Nazi intelligence officer from the SS, hey, go get your old SS guerrilla commander guy to go be an advisor to this warlord general that just took power in Egypt. This is where every modern problem we've had comes in is the little weird intelligence community things doing things in the dark. Okay. It's um, you can trace back a lot of problems to this. Uh, while in Egypt, dad, uh, Skorzeny will train commandos to attack British troops who are guarding uh, the Suez canal. And he also begins to form the same type of guerrilla fighters and commandos. The one that had helped him rescue Mussolini just a decade earlier. He's now doing that same type of training, creating those same type of soldiers. Uh, in Egypt, he's also training Palestinian troops to carry out raids against Israel. Okay, the Israel, the newfound Jewish state, if you will. So the battle continues. the The combatants have slightly changed. Um, yeah, at this point in time, now uh, Israel comes into its own as a being recognized, and that is, that's a, a whole game changer to the entire Middle East and to the entire world. So, uh, yeah, they're, you know, things are now heating up big time in the Middle East once again. Well, it gets uh, wild, too, because now um, there's a lot going on over here, too. One of the soldiers that is receiving this guerrilla training, um, a Palestinian fellow who's going to carry out these raids against Israel, is, uh, I shit you not. And when we told Chris Mad this yesterday, he like he pulled a kahuna where he had to get up and leave the room for a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, a young Yasser Arafat. Yeah, that one. Yasser Arafat, the guy who will become synonymous with um, the Palestinian is, uh, in Israel conflict uh, for the rest of his life. Uh, Yasser Arafat is being trained by a former SS member of the Waffen SS uh, in commando and guerrilla warfare. Okay. Now, also going on here, too, even though he's not around, so in, uh, in, uh, in absence, uh, Otto himself is finally deemed uh, denazified by the courts, which means that He's now allowed to travel back and forth to Western European countries. Yeah, he's been vindicated by uh, by the war trials that uh, he served his sentence and uh, he's he's good to go. He's, yeah, at least the people he killed were usually carrying guns or around people with guns. I think that really probably helped him out right. a lot compared right. to the straight up evil shit that was going on. <laughs> right. But uh, he seemed to enjoy uh, countries of Spain and Argentina the most, though, Dad. Um, yeah, no, that that's an interesting point too, because Spain and Argentina. Spain, let's not forget that prior to World War II, prior to uh, Hitler invading uh, Poland to to start the Second World War, um, Spain was uh, in a little bit of a turmoil with the uh, Spanish Civil War, 
and Italy and Germany were very much involved with uh, helping uh, our uh, Francisco Franco, who was an, another uh, um, fascist that um, took control of Spain from 1939 to 1975 when he died. So um, Spain was... Uh, <laughs> you want to talk about how to make a... I'm, I'm, it, this is a crude joke. This is a very crude joke here, but Spain is incredible when you think about the brutality of their history and now they just portray themselves as like your fun gay cousin that, you know, like the come to Ibiza, we have a great time. It's out on the beach. Come to the shore. It's wonderful. Like, and then you read about the shit they pulled off and they're like, hang on. How many, how many times did they overthrow their own government? How many countries did, wait a minute. Well, why, why are all these other countries speaking Spanish? They're the most brutal people. And then now it's like, oh God, it's just the culture over there. It's like nothing you've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, many many historians will say that the Spanish Civil War was really just the uh, precursor, a mini encapsulation of what World War II was going to be. There were so many foreign um, countries involved with that. And, you know, that's where uh, Papa Hemingway went over there to report the news as a journalist and wrote for whom the bell tolls to, with the horrors of war and all the all the things that are going on. So, I mean, that, part of me that, thinks he was there for the, a couple of good siestas too. <laughs> well. Um, so, I mean, Franco's um, Spain and Argentina, um, we've got uh, we got some little fun happenings down there, too. So he's winking worldwide. And as I said earlier, that at the close of the Second World War, before the, the thing completely ended, victory in, in Europe, um, a lot of these higher ups were making plans well ahead of time to find out what, what are we going to do? How are we going to protect the German resources or the monies that we plundered out of all these overrun nations and um, keep that in uh, Nazi control, if you will? Although the Germany might have lost the Second World War, how are we going to continue on with the whole uh, Nazi idealism, if you will? Is there going to be a Fourth Reich? It's uh, it's pretty crazy, too, because as he's getting denazified over here, he's hanging out in Spain a lot more. He's hanging out in Argentina a lot more. And I'm sure he spoke Spanish, too, at this point, because uh, um, he spoke all those other languages as well. And he was just a bright guy. But uh, while in Argentina, you want to talk about just finding um, the the upper echelons to always be hanging out. And you're the advisor to the general warlord in Egypt. You're uh, training a young Yasser Arafat. You're... Uh, <laughs> In Argentina now, he's hanging out with the Argentine or Argentine president, uh, Juan Perón, who hilariously, Juan Perón is a, he's a very popular figure, a controversial figure in their history. Um, but Perón is interesting because uh, he's going to serve as an advisor to him. And Perón was also running as like, um, we're of the, the working class. We're going to raise the people up here all as one kind of a thing. You don't know? mean socialist. I mean, um, I mean, maybe he was saying like, you see how guys, we have this bundle of sticks here. And if I can break all the sticks one by one, but if all the sticks are together, I can't break them. I, I'm trying to think of a good word for this. Uh, you know, like a, like a bundle of sticks, like a fascist, you know what I mean? Like they say, in, oh, oh, shit, are we saying it out loud? We're not supposed to, we're saying the quiet part out loud. We're screwing up. <laughs> so, um, but they definitely had some ideas over here. And uh, Juan Perón, very, very popular guy. Uh, he's, uh, again, his advisor now is Otto Scorzeni. Um, and Scorsese is also going to serve as a bodyguard and kind of a, a mentor, if you will, to the first lady of uh, Argentina, Eva Perón. Now, um, if that sounds familiar, folks, it's because Eva was mostly known by her nickname, 
Evita. Yeah, Evita, as in, go ahead, Dad, say it. Yeah, played by Madonna in, uh, in the movie Evita. Don't, don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> don't cry for me, Argentina. The truth is my bodyguard. The truth is my mentor is a Nazi. <laughs> in fact, because of that truth, and there is truth to this, Argentina and a few other countries in South America were noticing some new traits in their citizens. Um, while they were making great strides on the world stage in terms of like engineering and import and export and stuff like that, there did seem to be a lot more blonde hair, blue eyed, tall new citizens. And it was curious how many of them seemed to just love German food, beer, customs, uh, <laughs> designs when they were building houses and buildings and stuff like that. Um, and also, it's weird. A lot of them spoke German, Dad. Yeah, it's just uh, by Coing, you think, right? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and, so, uh, and going back to uh, to Spain with Franco and that, um, you know, uh, Otto Scorzini was also uh, rumored or many people believe that he was the head of this whole thing called the Spinne, which in German means the spider. It was basically a network. And Franco himself said that, you know, welcome, welcomed them into his country, that it was really, uh, I don't know how to parallel it, but it was like an underground railroad system for uh, ex-Nazis to find them safe haven either in Spain or in Argentina or many other South American countries. Evil Harriet Tubman. Yeah. And our friend Otto here was uh, pretty much the, uh, the brains behind that. Um, Some feel that this particular branch, the, the spider was actually part of the whole Odessa, which was, uh, um, in German, it means uh, the, the transportation or the reorganization of the uh, SS. So if you were if you're SS, we're going to take care of one leave, you know, no man left behind type of a thing. We'll find something new for you to do in the new world order. So um, they're trying to, by the way, with this whole thing, this literally is um, Juan Perón is publicly out loud saying we're going to raise up Argentina, um, blah, blah, blah. You guys are going to we're going to elevate the quality of life here. The working class is going to be taken care of. Also, we might get into this uh, eugenics thing and maybe a fourth Reich. What do you say, folks? What do you think? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to send in one of our uh, heavy hitters uh, who escapes uh, Germany, um, Dr. Joseph Mengele. Um, Uh, Mengele, by the way, his death is uh, is pretty interesting over there. Um, He dies drowning. Um, which, uh, you know, that, that we're talking about probably the most evil human being who ever lived. And, and I get it. And by the way, the eugenics thing is, is wild and, and crazy and it's evil to do, um, forced eugenics and the idea of a racial hierarchy is uh, very troubling and easy to, to dispel. But at the same time, uh, if you sold it to people by saying, Hey, Argentina, Argentina, listen, times are tough, but if we bring these Germans in, we might make a Shakira. <laughs> So, but you were saying Mengele, obviously the, the most evil human being who ever lived, I would say top 10 for sure. You know, he was one of the guys that were able to be um, snuck out of Germany um, through this whole spider network, if you will. Um, you know, uh, whether it's going through Austria into Switzerland, into Italy, and then, then into Spain or whatever. I mean, it was a whole network of uh, 
of uh, stations, if you will, that they eventually they were going to uh, escape justice and find uh, find their way to uh, South America, whether it's Paraguay or whether it's Argentina or wherever. But uh, they're finding safe haven. Which uh, those aren't the people that deserve it. You know what I mean? And that that's what kills it. Because here's the whole thing too. When we talk about the sympathy for the German troops who were not uh, devout Nazis, we're talking about the people that stayed around, the people that went back to their families. The people got hit with every sort of evil sanction. The people saw that their country get divided and taken over into two different forms of government. We're talking about uh, uh, the, the German people that they thought they were doing the the right thing, if you will, by defending you know their own country. Uh, you know, making sure they're the idea that you're protecting your family by joining those people. They get straight up butt fucked because now they're forced to stick around. And now there's a U.S. occupation. There's a Russian occupation. Uh, the Berlin Wall is going to come into place here. And then meanwhile, all the bad motherfuckers that did all the worst shit, they're hanging out in the Caribbean pretty much right now, not the Caribbean, South America, but they're hanging out in the lower hemisphere and they're, uh, they're getting tans on They're They're figuring out how to make cool new beer They're uh, you know, it, it's, it's pretty baffling here that Scorzeni is able to enjoy this quality of life here. This real son of a bitch. Um, they're discussing this idea of this uh, fourth Reich, like you're saying here. Uh, but, this kind of was a pretty wild little thing here involved as well. And, and Doug went into this and I couldn't prove some of this because a lot of writers dispel this and Doug ran with um, the myth for it, which uh, it's a damn good myth, um, but they couldn't confirm this. But uh, apparently as cloak and dagger as things operate in the intelligence business, it would appear that although it's controversial, if he knew what he was doing or who he was dealing with, that Scorzeni was recruited by Mossad. Okay, Mossad being Israeli intelligence for those who don't know. So he's being recruited by Mossad agents who were pretty badass, who are hunting down um, the Nazis that have seemed to have escaped Germany, by the way. Mossad's carrying out some stuff. Uh, go check out the movie Munich with uh, Eric Bana if you want to see just some insane, uh, like you can't believe it's real type shit. Um, but uh, Mossad is pulling off some uh, some pretty crazy stuff over here. Um, and Israeli intelligence uh, is they're going to make Skorzeny give them information on the Egyptian scientists who were involved with providing rockets to Palestine. And the rumor was that Skorzeny was actually part of a hit that took out a couple of those guys as well. Um, and then he kind of knew it was going to be a hit. And then it was uh, uh, bodyguards were getting dropped in the woods and stuff like that. But um, it's a little cloak and dagger as the whole intelligence community is. But it is kind of a wild story that a Waffen SS officer is now working for the Israeli intelligence agency. <laughs> Whether or not that was forced coercion, who knows? But um, I will say this now. Uh, Scorsini will die. Okay. And he's a guy that should have died a hundred times over, uh, whether it be in uh, battles or ridiculous missions or being a war criminal or, uh, you know, uh, being involved in pretty much going to every hotbed of activity. Um, you know, post-World War II, but he lives to the ripe old age of 67 years old, heavy-duty smoker. Uh, he had lung cancer. Um, he was actually paralyzed at one point and then even forced himself to start walking again by spending a crazy amount of time with a therapist. And uh, his funerals were held in Madrid and Vienna, Dad. And uh, what do you know about those two? Uh, yeah, well, Vienna, uh, that Austria, I mean, that was his, his home country, if you will, his place of his birth. And then Madrid, Spain. I mean, it was Franco who said that uh, to the to, to a lot of these escaping uh, Nazis, uh, please consider Spain as your second fatherland. So, Oof. you know, that was uh, he, he had a lot of friends in in, uh, in Spain. He had a lot of friends in Vienna, obviously, that uh, 
the old guard, you know, that uh, the old frat boys. Well, both funerals yeah. in Madrid and Vienna were attended by former SS officers. Both funerals saw his body given Nazi salutes as it passed. Um, both saw parties afterwards where the former Nazis and former members of the SS would sing some of Hitler's favorite songs because despite his 67 years on the planet, his involvement with multiple governments and being a citizen of several nations, Otto Skorzeny never once renounced his Nazi beliefs. Okay. And by the way, if you want to scare the shit out of people, we're talking about the idea of, oh, there's a, oh, can you believe it? There's, there's Nazis out there that they support this or whatever. Oh, there's a Nazi candidate running in France or they're always saying there's this idea of looking for new Nazis. You don't need the new ones because I'm telling you folks, these SS officers that were doing the, the Hitler salute. Okay. The Nazi salute. Heil Hitler to Scorsini's dead bodies. It's being paraded around in Madrid and Vienna. That happens in 1975. Okay. I think we have a peanut farmer as president or something like that around this time frame. <laughs> it's, uh, it's within, I mean, a lot of this is within uh, people's lifetime too, but dad, you were alive when this guy died and there were Nazi salutes being given by SS officers to sure. uh, his, his, I mean, it's, that's where it gets unsettling. Okay. That's where you got to be careful about the, the lost cause myths of, uh, of certain things. That's where you have to be careful not to uh, martyr them either. Okay. Cause let me tell you, this guy's life is incredible, but as a human being, he runs up there as pretty despicable. And again, it's important to never once renounces his Nazi beliefs. Werner von Braun would try to give you the spin story to say that, Oh, well, I was just a scientist and I was trying to stay alive. And you hear all these other people that maybe they change up the story or maybe they're telling the truth and they were just that afraid of that government. And now they're afraid of this government, but I scores any, he's just the son of a bitch. So LP, anything you want to say on the way out? And thank you for, uh, for jumping in here today. Unfortunately, like we said, we weren't able to put out the original episode and uh, we're going to figure out a way to overcome those uh, technical issues moving forward, but it is nice to hear your voice and see your face via StreamYard. Well, that's good. Good to, uh, good to be with you guys and to jump in here, although you are taken away from beach time, but, uh, um, a, a pleasure, always a pleasure. Um, yeah. And although he's not an American loser, thankfully, um, I think it was a, an interesting, uh, interesting dive into, uh, Mr. Otto. I didn't really know that much about this guy other than, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was one of the badass uh, Nazis and military side, but, uh, well, he pulls off shit that is very much like we were saying a, a certain Lee Marvin movie. Um, called the dirty dozen that's a right. legendary movie and we're like oh look at that it's pretty cool we're sending our bad guys to go get their bad guys and um but that was real this was real stuff there's not as much creative process involved with uh, some of these things now that you realize it's based off of shit that these guys actually pulled off yeah. so um but uh i'll say that too and one quick announcement for you folks too and one more final apology to my pal doug urim uh good guy good comic um doug we could not put this episode up i apologize for that one sir um, we had a couple technical issues behind the scenes and, uh, please support his podcast. It's called no offense. I believe he's back in studio every Wednesday to shared universe where Mike and Ming take great care of us. And thank you, Ming, for letting me jump on the old stream yard with, uh, my father. Uh, thank you to, uh, Chris. Actually, we're wrapping up Chris right now. I promise. Um, and, uh, you're the best. I didn't know if you were still there or not. Um, but, uh, Chris, thank you for, uh, two, uh, two solid back-to-back -back day efforts. So thank you for that, buddy. Oh, he doesn't know he's muted. <laughs> the sound engineer doesn't know he's muted, Dad. <laughs> no, I knew. I said the C word. <laughs> oh. <laughs> A little inside baseball for you folks here. But um, 
Anyway, uh, one quick announcement, and then we'll uh, we'll get out of here. If you guys want to help us out over on the Patreon, you already know about that. It's literally for as little as three dollars a month. It helps me keep this show rolling. It's the only way I can keep doing it. The second I start to lose money on this show, or I can't afford the studio time. It has to go away. That's just what it is. I'm not in a position where I can do it anymore. We're trying to get back on the road full time with comedy, and it's it's a struggle. It's a constant struggle. And as long as I can pay my bills and figure my shit out, um, maybe the old boy doesn't have to work fucking cleaning out beer lines much longer either. Who knows? I like this gig, but you know, I like telling dick jokes all the time better. <laughs> so I have a couple of dates I have to promote real quickly. Uh, I'm taking my phone off of uh, the old uh, aforementioned uh, airplane mode here. But uh, also, quick, do me a favor, Chris. Plug your band. Absolutely. My band is Serious Matters. You can check us out, SeriousMattersNJ.com. You can get one of these sweet, sweet shirts. I've got them here. It's got a sick back. You definitely can't miss, even though we're on a podcast, so no one gets to enjoy the full effect. I didn't want to tell them. We got a sweet, sweet gig in Red Bank coming up. It's going to be a big festival, 1 to 11 p.m., uh, it's going to be May 14th at Red Tank Brewing. You got to come out. You got to come out. You bastard. You really do this to me. I want this would be one that I would come to. It'd be great. I would try to bring this. Uh, I try to bring somebody that is also a big fan of beer and music. Um, but uh, I'll tell you what. I can't be there, though, my friend. Uh, I got a couple of dates coming up on the road. The uh, 21st, the 22nd, the 23rd of April, you guys can see me at Mohegan Sun opening up for the great Robert Kelly. Um, Bobby's getting close to filming his new hour. It's one of the funniest uh, I've ever seen him working on. And uh, he's an absolute treat. Also, I'll be there, too. So there's fun. You have to be well, there's there. that, too. Yeah. Then the uh, 29th and the 30th, uh, North Jersey, folks, I'm back up at Bananas in Hasbrook Heights. Come on through. I believe it's myself. I think I'm hosting for uh, Matt McCusker of Matt and Shane's uh, secret podcast of Shane Gillis fame. Uh, then uh, what's it called? Uh, May 5th is going to be Cinco de Mayo, Dad. Or, uh, that's going to be very fun to talk about. Um, and then uh, actually on May 7th, I will be at Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania at the Newtown Theater. I'm, I'm sorry, not Jim Thorpe. It's the Newtown Theater in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. And I'm opening up for Chris Covert, actually. So we're getting the old band back together for that one. Uh, very much looking forward to it. May 14th, again, the great Robert Kelly. That's why I can't make it to your gig, Chris. I'm so sorry. I will be in Atlantic City, New Jersey at the Celebrity Theater opening up for, uh, again, the great Robert Kelly. And then here's the big announcement. We put it up on social media last night. I think Chris saw it. I know uh, my father saw it. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm letting everybody know that that profile picture of me, the advice I got from 800 pound gorilla was to change all my photos to one high res photo on all my social medias and stuff. Oh yeah. And so I took the picture of me drinking a Guinness backstage at the album recording because it looks very similar with the hair, the sweaty, big, puffy, dumb Irish face and the Guinness in hand. It looks very similar to a certain Irish writer that I'm a fan of dad. So <laughs> I'll show, I'll send the two pictures to you back to back, but there's a little Brendan B in action going on there. That's why we're, this is just for the promotion. This is how we're selling it right now. Okay. So don't, I'm, don't, don't make mom think that I'm in trouble or anything, <laughs> but uh 800 pound gorilla has announced to me uh, I'll a meeting with them uh, on Thursday. It was supposed to be today. It got moved around. Um, but uh, we're going to have the full rollout May 21st. I will be having my album release party at Tiff's in Morris Plains. It is known as the Dojo of Comedy. That is Sam Tripoli's club. So if you guys are tinfoil hat listeners and you're in the area, fucking come on out, man. All right. Sam ain't going to be there, but I'm pretty goddamn funny. And um, I'm bringing some great friends of mine as well. I hope to see you guys there. If I can bully Chris and uh, Paige into coming out, um, that would be great. And then uh, obviously, you know, there's going to be some familiar faces in the crowd. I know you guys are good that way. And um 
That being said, that wraps that one up. The album will be out shortly there. I think it's May 21st. It should be out on YouTube that day. I'll confirm all this stuff as it's coming. I'm going to be obnoxious with my promotion. I'm trying to jump on a bunch of my friends' podcasts, and uh, we'll see what happens with all that. But Lawrence Patrick Burke, thank you to you for jumping in here. Sorry we ruined some beach time for you. Uh, Uh, No worries. (laughs) Chris Mad, thank you to you very much. And guys, my name was KP Burke, but that was Otto Scorzeni, International Loser. It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every